Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us to wrap up the week in politics is Bill Crystal with the Weekly Standard. And Bill, can we safely say that President Obama's speech uh, will not be remembered by historians as one of the highlights of presidential oratory? You know, we can, obviously. And I, what I, I just hope that it's not remembered by historians as sort of a another low in American foreign policy where he announces something that we don't follow through on and then end up uh, even worse off six months from now. I hope people will look back and say it was pretty uh, lame. It was uh, He's not going nearly far enough in fighting the war we're fighting, but maybe, hopefully, it's a first step, which will be followed by later steps. I really do hope that, just as obviously an American. I really worry, though, that uh, the current strategy that he articulated in that speech, I don't think will be a winning strategy. And you just hate, God, it would be terrible if America gets involved, and we already are involved, obviously, and then we don't prevail. There's something unsettling about having the president announce, don't worry, everybody, we're going to put a team together. We won't have to do the work on the ground. Let's go to the team. Germany, oh, they're not on the team. Great Britain, off the team, maybe on the team. Saudi Arabia, we ain't going to be on the team. When your number one message is, we don't have to do this by ourselves, it is kind of dispiriting to see such a short list of people willing to join you. Right, and you shouldn't say that we're going to let other people take the lead if you, unless you've done the diplomacy and set it up so at least they would say, you're right, you know, we're going to be out there. Now, I still think it's unrealistic. At the end of the day, we're going to have to do a lot of the fighting and a lot of the, and we're going to prevail. If, we're, if it's key to our national interest, we, we want to be doing, frankly, I mean, no one wants to fight, but we want to be doing it in the sense that we control it so much better than having a bunch of Saudi pilots dropping bombs where they want or having some random Arab ground forces, I suppose. You know, God knows who they would be killing and fighting and what they would be doing. It's, there's a real reason you want to have U.S. control of this of this effort because it is an important effort to the U.S. But you're right, but even if you're going to go with leading from behind, you should at least get the other guys on board as a matter of diplomacy first, and the president announces all this, and then all the headlines the last 48 hours are, you know, well, gee, the Europeans aren't really there, and the Arab countries aren't really there, and kind of no one's really there, so that's that's also ah, Bill, I hate to correct you, but somebody is there, according to new numbers from the CIA, two to three times more ISIS fighters than we originally thought, and ISIS has had a great recruiting summer. Um, I, if they were in the SEC, they'd be predicted to win the East. I mean, this is, it is kind of, I'm not to make too light of it, but when the United States announces we are coming after you and the answer from the bad guys is, great, let's all sign up. That's also not what we were hoping for. Right. Well, I think the, the sign-ups were before maybe they really thought we were coming after them. But I'm afraid if they don't really think we're coming after them now, the sign-ups will continue. <clears throat> My friend Frank Hagan, you know, has made this point throughout the summer. And he, in fact, told me two weeks ago, I just said, well, how many are there really? He said he thought there were about 25,000 so I think he was ahead of the CIA or at least uh, um, maybe looking at the same data the CIA is looking at. But you can't underestimate in that part of the world the importance of momentum, the importance of a sense of victory, as Osama said, the strong horse, as opposed to the weak horse. The degree to which these guys have been able to get stronger, as we've done nothing or almost nothing over the last six, nine months, and even in the last month or two, just some uh, rather limited bombing efforts, the degree to which people on the ground and people in Europe and, unfortunately, people in the U.S., who have a sort of an inclination this way think, hey, this is the winning this is the winning horse, the strong horse. This is the place to be. If you have any jihadist inclinations, uh, and if I go, I'll succeed, and I'll be a hero, and I'm not going to just get blown up. You really don't want to let that sense of mind uh, start to get out there. You know, that's what is, as you say, that is what makes the, their strong recruiting possible. Maybe it'll change a little bit. It'll change when we start pummeling them. It's not going to change when President Obama gives a half-hearted speech. And again, 
and uh, people who are not conservatives have made this point. What is he giving the speech for if we're not ready to act? Give the speech the day that there are 120 bombing sorties, even if we're not going to use ground troops. Don't give the speech and have everyone look around 48 hours later and say, I, I guess there were four bombing sorties. I mean, I don't know how many there were, but, you know, there were like the same number of bombing sorties yesterday as there were today. And maybe two, three, four weeks from now, they're going to kind of have their target packages together. Why? Why? Let's do a little bit of, I hate to use a term that was overused and discredited a little in the Iraq war, but a little shock of and awe wouldn't be such a bad thing. You know, uh, President Obama, when he was running for president, said he was trying to do something about the polarized Washington, where some group, one group of people would say, I'm for what he's doing. Another group would say, well, I'm against what he's doing. And he's done that, Bill, because everyone's saying, what the hell is he doing? We don't, I don't, I'm with you. I, why he gave that speech, I have no idea what the point was. But let's move on to how foreign policy and the president... Uh, and his uh, popularity center might affect domestic politics. You mentioned momentum. Man, polls out today show the GOP has more momentum than even I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, they, they, don't, they haven't done that much to deserve it, frankly. They're, they're playing incredibly safe uh, in Congress, not pushing things they should be pushing, like the uh, going after the bailout for the insurance companies and Obamacare, going after funding for the U.N. Human Rights Council, the Export-Import Bank. There are a lot of, uh, of low-hanging fruit for the House Republicans to go after, uh, they, they, they're so nervous about doing anything, they've chosen to do nothing. It may well work out, actually, though, because it may be that President Obama has been so damaged and has so damaged the Democrats, partly because of foreign policy, partly because of immigration and other issues. Uh, the numbers really do seem to be moving now in a Republican direction. You see it in the generic ballot a lot this week in several different polls. I mean, you always want to see this in more than one poll, because any poll can be an outlier, obviously. Um, Senate races, we haven't quite seen the movement translating there, but it's hard to believe it won't translate to some degree. And I do, you know, think Republicans' chances of winning the Senate are very good now. Um, I still think a little more of an aggressive agenda, positive agenda on the part of Republicans would make life easier uh, for Republicans running against incumbents in a state like Colorado uh, or running for open seats in a state like Iowa or, or Michigan. Um, New Hampshire, I think, against uh, Gene Shaheen. Scott Brown could win there. So I, I, I hope the Republicans don't get it all. Don't get too complacent. Don't just try to sit on the lead. That's always their bad tendency. But I do feel better about Republican chances than, than uh, this November than I did two, two weeks ago. And, and one reason I think that Republicans should be uh, hopeful is the foreign policy storyline is not going to go away anytime soon. And the foreign policy storyline is just not good for the president. And the fact that his approval rating on foreign policy is down in the 30s is not good. But also, there's no indication that his team is going to suddenly put something together that's going to turn that around, I'm sorry to say. I would rather see the ISIS guys getting killed and let the Republicans worry about their Senate races. But if you're, if Democrats are thinking, well, it's still relatively early, got a lot of weeks of campaign to go along, there's going to be, I think, Bill, this wet blanket of the sagging impact of the question of competence and leadership hanging on the Democrats because of the foreign policy stories that are going to stay near the front pages. Yeah, I very much agree. And I think, and I'm happy about this, obviously given my foreign policy views, the Republicans have reestablished themselves as the hawkish party in foreign policy. There are some differences among Republicans. But I think a year ago you might have said the Republicans were the party who were uh, most hostile to the U.S. intelligence agencies and most hostile to getting involved somewhere after the Syria debate. Uh, and I'm not blaming Republicans necessarily for that. The president had, was so appalling in his leadership or non-leadership there. But anyway, that would be, might be the impression you would have had a year ago if you were a voter. Now I think if you think the country should be stronger, if you think defense 
should be robust, if you think we should be tough with our enemies, you're more inclined to vote Republican. I think two other issues that are out there that are underestimated are immigration. The media consensus was, whoa, that was sort of clever of Obama to put it off till after the election. But I think it just allows Republicans around the country to say he's now signaled he's going to make a big uh, you know, offer, try to move with a big unilateral amnesty after the election. All the more reason you need more Republicans in Washington to fight back against that. I'm not so sure it was so intelligent of, pres- of the president to put that off till after the election, leaving it as kind of an open issue. Uh, I think immigration remains big. I mean, the, the elite media don't like talking about it, but my sense from people actually campaigning around the country is that it's an awfully big issue. And Obamacare remains a very big issue. Again, the elite media are sick of it, uh, but there are a lot of premium uh, increases uh, in, in store, a lot of disruptions now for people still who are in the exchanges. Um, and again, if Republicans would just do something on the Hill to highlight how bad Obamacare is, the insurer bailout is one obvious way to do it, um, it would really be, uh, I think that issue kind of will come back as voters realize that it would really matter if, if Republicans controlled the Senate in terms of immigration policy, in terms of, of health care policy, and to some degree in terms of defense and foreign policy. So now that the uh, season's full effect, I'm going to run some states, Senate races by your bill, and let's get your predictions as of this week, okay? Yep. Uh, um, Jay Cost of the Weekly Standard says he doesn't think that North Carolina is going to go Republican. He thinks Kay Hagan's going to stick. Uh, the latest polls have her up between one and six points. What do you think? I'd say so. Jay and I have had this conversation many times in person in an email uh, over email in the last two weeks. In general, Jay is worried, and I have been too, that the Senate numbers don't seem to be moving. These Democrats may have differentiated themselves from President Obama pretty well. The Republicans have some problems in their campaigns. Having said that, I think looking at the national numbers, I now feel Arkansas is going to be an easy victory for Tom Cotton. I think North Carolina, Alaska, Louisiana will probably come through. The other red states that are that people are say are in play, that are in play. I think Republicans will do well there. And I now think actually, as I sort of, I think I suggested before, that Iowa, Colorado, New Hampshire are very much um, winnable. I'm not sure Republicans will win all three, but one or two of the three, I think quite possible. And I'm looking at Illinois and New Jersey and uh, wondering, well, why exactly is Dick Durbin in Illinois, the number two Democrat in the Senate, up only seven points? And a Chicago Sun-Times poll, we're not talking about some Republican campaign poll. Why is Cory Booker up only between seven and 13 points, and I think two or three independent polls in New Jersey? If if Republicans get a little imaginative and put a little money into those races, the anti-incumbent sentiment, the anti-Obama sentiment, the time for a change sentiment could really help even in blue states. My experience is, and I ran campaigns for a while for Republicans, is that if a Republican is losing by two or less, he's winning because that's just the way polling works. And Iowa is consistently a one or two point uh, Democratic lead for a weak uh, Democrat and a strong Republican. She's a very good campaigner. He's a very bad campaigner. I'm unless something changes on the ground, unless Ernst makes a you know bumbling play or something else comes in, that looks to me like the Republicans are in very good shape. And Grant said will be reelected. The Republican will be reelected governor by mm-hmm. probably 10, 12 points. Republicans have some pretty good people at the top. Colorado, uh, where Cory Gardner is a good candidate, and I think on your principle also has a very good chance, but he's only down one or two points in most of the polls. Uh, they are the Republican gubernatorial candidate who have been kind of assumed to be a loser right. a few weeks ago. is dead even now with the incumbent Democratic governor, Hickenlooper. So I think you could see some real movement in some of these states. I hope Republicans and Republican donors, super PACs and so forth, uh, keep 
flexible in terms of where they're going to spend money. They tend to have a herd mentality, as you know. You know, they they, they get the same list of the same swing, swing states as everyone else does, and then they pull all their money in there instead of holding some money for for states that are a little bit uh, longer odds, but not not undoable. It'd be good to make this a really big election victory and not just squeak through with six or seven seats and win the win the Senate by one or two. There's one other race I want to run by you because it's so important for 2016. And as you've pointed out many times these podcasts, that's the real game. And that is the Florida governor's race where uh, uh, Christ has a narrow lead over incumbent Governor Scott. Incumbent Governor Scott has some real problems. His poll numbers consistently rugged and you know, low 40s on his good days. How important is it for Republicans to hold the state house in Florida, particularly when it comes to what happens in the presidential race in 2016? I think it's just it's important in general. I think to you know, win where you can, especially big states, especially swing states. Important for Republicans to show they have a message that can win in purple states and in states that Obama carried. I don't know practically speaking how many votes it moves to have the state house as opposed to it. Uh, that people talk a lot about that. It doesn't always work out as a kind of correlation. Um, I do think the incumbent Republican governors are running a little weaker than you would expect in what looks like a good Republican year. And that suggests to me that the anti-incumbent sentiment is very strong. So if you're Scott Walker or Rick Scott or even Rick Snyder in Michigan, you've done a good job. But there there is a little bit of – and you're Republican, so you should be helped by the anti-Obama sentiment. But there's this anti-Republican sentiment which cuts against you. I, I tend to agree. Uh, I just, uh, on the one hand, though, having Florida so you can help out in a swing state is key in 26. On the other hand, having Charlie Crist hanging around the necks of the Democrats for, I mean, you know, is there another smaller state where he could be governor, please? Maybe he'll help please. us. People will look at him and think, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.